You ever feel like you're just stuck? Not like just in a rut, but busted, completely no way out. Or you ever feel the satisfaction of sticking it to somebody else? Maybe being able to paint them in a corner if you're having a fight with them or something like that. I admit, I've done that a few times. And unfortunately, the feeling that comes with really sticking it to somebody, uh, sadly, is fleeting at best. But what if there was hope for such kinds of situations that seem so impossible? I mean, hope that's better than just escape by the skin of your teeth, but more like better than ever before, the way we come out of it. Well, there might just be a way. As we continue to look at seeing who God is by the experiences or the emotions that God experiences through Jesus, who is God with skin on, we see another balancing act going on, or at least two traits that are kind of side by side. Not that they're opposed to each other, but um, we'll see a balance of Jesus having compassion and Jesus having or practicing justice topped off with a little bit of brilliance just to make it, uh, just to be all the better. So we'll take a look at a scene where the powers that be think that they have Jesus stuck. Out of John 8, this is uh, early on in the chapter, verses 2 through 4. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Welcome to a side of humanity that nobody ever wants to admit to on a Sunday morning. Now the woman's sin is pretty black and white, so I won't expound on it very much. The fact is, sex outside of the context of marriage never goes anywhere good. But if she's found guilty in this setting, it's a death penalty case. It's a capital offense case. So does that seem a bit harsh? Well, maybe it seems a bit more than a bit harsh, but especially when we see how Jesus redefines adultery in Matthew 5, when he says it's not just the physical act, but it's even to look at a person and lust after them is adultery of the heart, of the mind. The fact is, executing such a punishment uh, in this system was a lot harder than it seemed. It wasn't just something they did uh, day in and day out. Because it required, to convict somebody of adultery, required two very eyewitnesses. We're not talking about probable cause here or the idea of reasonable doubt. Those aren't phrases that are at bar here. We're not witnessing somebody leaving the room or two people lying together. You had to have two witnesses who saw the triple X version and agree on the details. So short version didn't happen very often. But the fact is, the Pharisees aren't even interested in the woman's guilt or innocence in the matter. She's not even really contesting the fact that she's probably guilty. But she's just a a pawn for them, a tool for them as the story continues. Because they're wanting to go, well, I'll let the story continue. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. The truth comes out. The motive behind this whole conversation is to test Jesus, to put him in a quandary. Because if he says, yes, go ahead and stone her, then he's no longer the friend of sinners that people are hoping for. Here's your Messiah, they might say, putting words in Jesus' mouth. 
Come to me with your weaknesses and I will have you executed for them. Not exactly a God loves you message of mercy, is it? But he also could get them, he, they could get him, Jesus, in trouble with the Roman authorities because they are the only ones who are allowed to execute criminals, to initiate capital punishments. That's why you have so much power struggle in the, the trial and the execution of Jesus later on in the gospel. But by the same token, if Jesus says, don't stone her, then he ditches the law of God and he basically loses credibility with any Orthodox Jew. And they'll start wanting us to turn the stones on him instead. So which are you going to choose, Jesus? Do you defy the Roman law or do you defy the Jewish law? Which is it going to be? Here's the quandary. And all eyes are on him in the temple. And Jesus takes a knee. And the story continues. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Now, what did he write? The fact is, we don't know. The fact is, it's probably in this gospel because the writer saw it happen and was just documenting, rather than it having some deep theological significance. It's the one place where going down the rabbit hole of curiosity can get us to completely miss the point of the story. Now, my takeaway on it, not that I'm going to build a whole theology or belief on this, is that basically Jesus has his whole thing figured out and under control. It'd be like firefighters who are rushing into a building and it's blazing and, and you know super hot and everything. And as they're running in, they're like, so did you catch the game last night? How about them Yankees? And, and Jesus is just cool as a cucumber. And he stands up and he lays down some serious wisdom. As he says, um, when they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And the trap gets turned around. Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Or as one writer puts it, let him who is without the same sin cast the first stone. Now remember, Jesus has totally redefined adultery to not just be an act, but to be looking at somebody, to lust after them in your heart. That counted as adultery. Jesus says, if you haven't done that, launch away. Go for it. Jesus calls them out and they phone it in. And one by one, starting with the elders, the rocks hit the sand instead of hitting the skin. Now Jesus, here's the thing, Jesus doesn't dismiss the sin or the law that's condemning it. He doesn't play word gymnastics with the Pharisees. In fact, he recognizes that the sin that the woman has committed and the penalties or the consequences of that sin are very real. He even affirms the authority's power to pronounce judgment on it, to, to call it out. The question is, who has the authority to execute that judgment? And Jesus as the story goes on, he goes from being super smart, dealing with the PhDs and all that sort of stuff, to basically playing dumb. In verses 9 and 10, When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Where's the accusers? Is there no prosecuting attorney? That sounds an awful lot like case dismissed to me. And the woman saw her life flash before a hundred times in this episode, maybe across a half an hour. And now she has her life back. 
In Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. All because the one person who is qualified to pick up a stone left it in the sand. And we read verse 11. She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. There is compassion in that statement, in the words, but there's also compassion beyond it. Because condemnation will not fall on her because the condemnation will fall on Jesus. Catch that. The condemnation will not fall on her because the condemnation will fall on Jesus. John says later in John 15, No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for their friends. Not just is there compassion in that moment, but there's also compassion in the call out. Because Jesus calls out her sin. He names it, if you will. Listen to the order of what's, what he's saying. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. So how is that compassion? It brings the sin, it brings the fault to light where the Holy Spirit can deal with it. Where the Holy Spirit can stop that sin from clogging up the abundant life that Jesus came to give. We see in John 3, Indeed, God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Sometimes we need to experience that very same compassion. That compassion that says you don't need your Sunday best to come before God. You don't need the right words or the high priest to experience that phrase, neither do I condemn you. So this week, be quick to experience that compassion by asking forgiveness. Be it of another person, be it asking forgiveness from God, being asked, being willing even to forgive yourself if needed. Especially if you've played the part of the Pharisee in this story, where you are, have been one who judge somebody else because they sin differently than you do. I recognize that can be a tough one, but when we do it, it can, be, it can do miracles for our relationships. Because God meets those cries with compassion time and time again. The fact is, God, Jesus, is in the redemption business. That was his life-giving mission in a word. God's compassion not only completely forgives, completely redeems, but it tells us, just like it told the woman, you can begin again. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for having compassion with us, for having mercy with us, for bringing sin to light so that we can deal with it, so that we can, by your power, beat it and, and experience the abundant life you came to give us. So help us to pass that compassion on to other people so they can experience the good news of your story. Let that be our story, we pray. In your name, amen.